Welcome to the Institute's Leading Edge, a show dedicated to helping the automotive aftermarket service industry. Covering topics suggested by you, the listener, we dive into what's important, getting you what you need to succeed. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Institute's Leading Edge. Uh, Episode 72, right? We're on 72, not 73? 72. 72. And today we're going to be covering a shop story with Keith Brown. Uh, reminder, if you're watching this, you're enjoying the content, make sure to like uh, and maybe like our page, share this post if you enjoyed it and follow us for more updates because we're always posting new content. Um, Keith is from Tire World here in Utah. We've known Keith for quite some time. Um, as we go through this, if you want to join in the discussion, uh, we're going to be watching that live on Facebook so we can engage with you there as well. So if you have any questions or comments, please let us know in the comment section down below. So Keith, yes, sir. first, tell us about how you started in this industry. Well, like a lot, a lot of us, you know, we got into it young. My dad was in the military. I came back from overseas where I graduated high school. And I wanted to learn about cars. I started working in a gas station. You know, I tell people, I tell my kids, if you've ever watched Back to the Future, you see the Texaco station where the guys will run out in the white clothes and the hat and everything to service your car and fill it up and wash the windows. I was that guy without the white uniform, without the white hat, long hair. It was the 70s. Uh, and But that's where I got into it. And I love taking care of customers and taking care of people and servicing them and, and, and helping them with problems. Um did that for a little bit, and then I went to the community college in the Solano Community College in uh, Sassoon, California, and got a two-year certificate in car fixing. It's like I tell people now, now they have automotive sciences. When I did it, it was so long ago, it was actually called car voodoo, and so now I'm, I'm, I'm learning the science of the automotive repair. So, But I uh, did that for a number of years and relocated to Utah in 87 with my wife, uh, who worked for Delta Airlines, and been here ever since, enjoying it, went as a tech went into management for a major corporation and found out major corporations don't care about people and left and have been at Tire World now for 28 years. So why, why is working in an independent, what, what values does that align with? Why, why is this working for you? I think from the standpoint of contact, I'm, I'm a relationship person. I think most people who are in the automotive business, if they're successful, is because of relationships that they build with their clients, their employees, things like that. And at the corporate level, that was lost. You were a number, uh, easily replaceable. Uh, the relationship meant nothing. Your efforts meant nothing. It was all about the numbers. Uh, so going into this, being a, we're a fairly large independently owned facility because we have two sides. We have our industrial side that does commercial um, medium truck, OTR, forklift, all that stuff. And they have the side that I manage, which is the automotive side, uh, tires. Um, and then we have full service automotive bays with some really great techs. Uh, we are once again for the third year in a row, a AAA Top Shop nominee. Uh, been on the Top Shop for the last two years. And when it, I'm hoping that we're in there for a third year in a row. So I think the local having the instantaneous feedback makes it a lot better position for me to see how to proceed and what we're doing. I've lost your sound. I hear you can't you realize that. Oops. I've lost your sound again. 
<laughs> Stop muting me, Dad. That one was me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to unmute it, but here we go. Well, now I've lost my my flow of questioning. Um, I just I, I kind of want to talk about what your thought process is or was your methodology um, and kind of how that's changed over the years. So what were some of like the main challenges that you had to overcome to get to where you are now? You know, I think um, having gotten into this industry in the seventies and and like I said, being relationship based um, basically at that point in time, as long as you had strong relationships and you did good business and took care of people, you could put uh, money to the bottom line and take care of your staff. Um, the industry and the technology has advanced so quickly that we in, in the industry need to look at that uh, from a standpoint of how do we continue to take care of our people because expenses are up and also realizing what our value is. Um, I like everybody else, you know, it's easy not to change anything. Uh, it's easy to go with the status quo, but Every day you fall farther behind. Uh, I was very fortunate throughout my career to always work with some really good people um, that did certain things. And then I was allowed to take care of the customer and things like that. But my, my paradigm has changed in the fact that now I'm responsible for building this. And, you know, I'm, I'm getting older and I'm hoping in five to eight years to retire. And I want to leave behind uh, a business that can stand on its own and have those people prepared to be successful going forward. So how I approach the business and how I approach the value of the business has totally changed. So, so for those of you who don't know, Keith is actually not the owner of his business. He talks like he is though, right? I take ownership. Um, the, the people that, I, that work for me work for me. Um, the customers that come in here come because of me and my staff. And so I don't have the checkbook, but I have the desire to provide the environment and the experience. Um, our owner is pretty much an abstention and he likes it like that. And that's one of the reasons he bought the business is it was kind of a turnkey situation. Um, it was successful when he bought it. It continues to be successful we're trying to change our paradigm and how we focus uh, to make it more successful for long-term. So, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I didn't have the money to buy it. Otherwise I'd have bought it. <laughs> Dad, you, you had something. Well, Keith, you know, the business has changed. Um, I think dramatically and more so in the past few years. Certainly with COVID, there was some things that we needed to think about and, and make adjustments within our, our, our businesses. What do you think the, what do you, first, what do you think the biggest change is for the business? And then second of all, what do you think the biggest challenge is coming up for, or, or currently here for the, for shops? You know, I think our, our biggest, I'm firmly convinced that we can still uh, operate in a relationship type of business. The biggest challenge I see to us is the non-relationship businesses that are out there trying to undercut us, uh, selling parts. Um, you can fix your car by watching a YouTube video. They don't realize the training, the technicality, 
the background that goes into what we do. They, um, we still need to build those relationships and build that trust. There's a lot of garages out there, but there's a lot of garages out there not doing it right. And then the garages that are not doing it right, how can we convince them of their value? You know, we recently did the podcast uh, on the leading edge about um, labor rates. Yeah. And that was a phenomenal thing, but it, it's an arbitrary value that we put into what we're worth. And as you know, Cecil said, and a number of other industry uh, icons have said, we don't charge enough. You know, we, don't, we don't value ourselves. We're worried about the guy down the street. Well, what we need to do is enhance our status and then bring them up. It's, you know, Carm Capriato says, you know, you know, rising tide raises all ships. And that's what we need to do. We need to get them involved in that and help raise all ships to the value that we provide. So, but this, uh, this is a 40 year problem. I mean, it's, it's been, when I started in the industry, the same problem existed as exists today. And I think that is that we don't see ourselves as the professionals that should be charging $250, $300 an hour. Um, it's interesting that I've, I've worked hard for, I don't know how many years trying to change that within our industry. And I feel like the progress has been exceptionally slow. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, I, I don't know, maybe you have the, maybe you have a magic answer or maybe you have an answer. You know, how do we do this with people? I, I have a good question for Keith about this. So take us to the point or the moment that you kind of realized this. Well, I had the epiphany. The epiphany. What, did, yes. what happened? Um, I was sitting in a group of my peers. You know, one of, the, one of the things that I think we've done for years is the guy down the street's my competition, the guy up the street's my competition, but we all have the same issues. Now, in, through internet podcasts, uh, different things going on, we need to communicate with each other. I mean, years and years ago, people talked about unions for the technicians. I don't know that we need unions, but we do need to talk with each other. We need to build relationships with our peers and subsequently learn certain things. I had the, the opportunity, oh gosh, 10, 15 years ago, we had a different software system. And I went to a training seminar down in Newport Beach. And it was phenomenal what I found out our system could do. And just talking with other people, how they handled situations. We need to learn to, we, to coexist and to talk with each other. I mean, that's one of the things I like about the GearHead platform. We're inviting other businesses, uh, people that we know within the industry, to say, come in and learn from others. I'm not your enemy. You know, and and it can, you can always keep it back to that, that old axiom, you know, keep your family, your friends close and your enemy closer. You know, we just need to work towards that. And they're not our enemy, but we can learn so much from each other and ri raise each other up. Exactly. Yeah. And for, for those of you who don't know who are listening, the Gearheads Network is a free community that the Institute kind of put together and is run by, well, Keith is one of our moderators, but we have a group of shops that are overseeing this community. Um, 
and you can join it now. I'll, <laughs> we'll include a link in the chat if you want to go. Yeah, go to gearforshops.com and look at who else is on there. There's a lot of great industry leaders, people out there extremely successful, and then the rest of the people that want to be extremely successful. You know, I got into this as a tech, kind of like Cecil did. I went to work. I remember my first job, at, quote unquote, as a manager was at the gas station I started out in. And the uh, owner comes up and he says, your manager and hand, hands me patches for my uniforms. I says, do I get a raise? He says, no, I spent all the money on the patches. And <laughs> it, and I, it was, he says, because no, people come in, they never ask for the owner, they ask for the manager. And so when he had somebody who came in and was hot and bothered, he just sent him out to see me. And I'm like, okay, why not? How does that work, right? No more money, but I get to deal with all the crazy people. That's right. Well, you know, I was... I've become a lot mellower in my in my later years because I had no problem telling, you know, we talk about sometimes you have to fire a customer. I had no problem doing that. So you're crazy. We're not dealing with you. Goodbye. So it's not worth my time. That's right. <laughs> so Keith, I, I have a question from the comments. Um, yeah. Mike wants to know, he said, I would like to know if the owner, when he bought the business, has he ever been involved in the day to day? And if he was, how did you get him to become an extension and, and have him allow you to run the business the way you wanted to? You know, obviously, when he bought the business, he wanted to kind of see how things happen. He came from a manufacturing background, um, huge plant. So he's used to dealing with, with um, big problems. And he came in and he kind of looked around and he says, you know, um, all I'll do is screw it up. So as long as we're putting money in the bank, um, he, he's okay with it. If we need to spend something too much money there, it's like any type of thing. If we're going to make a major investment, it's his checkbook. We're going to check with that. But it's, it's a matter of having the, the um, producing the product, making sure that what we're putting out is a quality product and that we collect for it and, and subsequently, he's happy. If he's not getting complaints and money's going to the bank, he's a good, happy guy. Did you, did you guys have any points of contention before it got to that point? So kind of milestones or hurdles, what were some of those? Can you take us to those points in time? Coming from a manufacturing background, it's more about expense control rather than it is sales. Right. Sales covers a multitude of sins. Um, and from a manufacturing background, it was what can we do? to keep costs down. And, and, and that's not always a bad thing, obviously, but being in a retail business, as we all know, sometimes you got to spend some money to make some money. Yeah. You can't, you can't budget yourself into a profitable business. That's right. And so coming from that background, we had to kind of flip him. Um, he did, he did change our software, which took us a while as any, with any software, you know, if you can get to do 85 to 90% of what you need to do, you live with the last 10%. But it took us a while to, to fine tune it to what we need to do. And we're still, there's certain things now that I'm getting more involved in the backside of it. Uh, there's still some um, adjustments that we need to make so that I can more easily get reports. Um, labor costs, margins, things like that. Those KPIs that we need to watch on a daily and monthly basis to be successful. What are... What are some of the most, and this is kind of an interview format. I really want yeah. the people out there to get to know who you are, Keith. Oh, yeah. um, so what are some of the most important numbers to you as you run your shop? 
my effective labor rate is huge. My flat rate per day is huge. Um, and margins. I mean, those are, you, know, you got to have margin to pay the bills. Can, can you go into detail with those? So what specifically about ELR? Effective labor rate. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's making sure because there's, you know, being in the tire industry, there's certain things that in having lube jobs, there's certain things that bring your effective labor rate down and minimizing, minimizing those and making sure we're collecting enough on the backside to, to balance it. Um, I mean, with our labor rate and what we're now, our, currently our effective labor rate is about $104 an hour. A um, couple of things we did is, and I, and I love seeing these people that do this, their garages out there, their marketing program is we're going to do a $29.95 oil change. Well, by the time you pay your guy and everything and, and buy your product and everything else, you've made nothing. And then there are people out there that just want cheap oil changes. So we've raised all of our pricing on oil change or maintenance services because they take time. That's where you have your most liability. Oh, this has got a drip. This has got a, so you might as well collect for it up front. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of like saying you need a, a, a heart valve replacement. Everybody needs one, but we're going to discount it at the hospital. Why would you do that? It's uh, the most basic service we offer. And if you're going to do it right, and check the car out and take the time and present the car to the customer, you need to collect for it and then go from there. Yeah. You can always, you can always ask, you know, you can always give stuff back, but you can't, you can't always go back and ask for more. Yeah. <laughs> like, Hey, we didn't make enough money. Can you please give me more money? <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a mentality in the industry amongst tire stores and people with like multiple locations that I need those cheap oil changes to keep my base full. How do you deal with that? Because obviously if you don't have a cheap oil change, you must have empty bays. Yeah, but I'd rather work smarter than harder. Just a point in case when I moved here in 87, I was a technician. I went to work for this major chain and they believed in this 995 oil change to get people in. We had them lined up out the door, and then they were upset because of how long it's taking. They don't want to buy anything. They have their person that's going to fix the car. That's not my customer. My customer is somebody who wants to maintain their vehicle. My customer is somebody who's willing to pay for quality people, pay for quality parts, and know that I'm going to take care of them. I have rented cars. I've paid for damage that I'm sure that not mine, but because we're going to take care of the customer, we're going to collect for it up front. Yeah. You want, you want customers that'll pay for your value, not for your price. Absolutely. I worked with a big old tire store and, and uh, 65 cars a day. We, we actually brought it down to about 42, raised the average repair order, made a lot more money. But kind of the point is, um, we were doing a lot of free brake inspections and not doing very many brakes. When we actually started charging for the brake inspection, we actually did fewer brake inspections, but we sold more brakes. Right. Right. So, I mean, the, the, and that's kind of how I see it, right? It is, is if you're giving it away, there, there's no value to it. If there's some kind of a charge, then it starts to create some value for it. 
So in the industry right now, we have this paradigm of we can't attract young people into it. They think it's a, not a very good industry to get into. And we're, we are guilty of making it that way. We don't want to pay anything. We want to be the cheapest guy in town. Whereas I think we've, we're shifting that now where we just believe, like I said, I have a degree in voodoo car repair. Now you have to be a, you know, a computer guy with you know, multiple computers in the car. You have to be a hydraulic specialist. You have to be an electrician. You have to be electronics. You have to be all of these things. And yet, if you took all those people and you added them together and said, okay, I got an engineer for this, an engineer for this, an engineer for this, we should charge five, 600 bucks an hour. Yeah. And then we have these guys come in and they have to make a massive <clears throat> investment in tools to do their job, to be proficient and to be profitable by being efficient and having the right tools so that they can do the job. And yet people think that they shouldn't be able to make a hundred to $150,000. You know, like why? These guys fixed the three computers in your car, found the wiring problem because our computers deal in an environment that the average IT guy will never see. And yet when the IT guy shows up 250 bucks an hour, I mean, we talked about plumber. I, I got no problem with plumbers. I think they do a great job, but I spent $1,200 to get my pipes flushed where the guy had a jetter and two guys standing around. <laughs> yeah. Three, three things that, that are damaging to computers, um, vibration, heat, and dust. Thank you. It smells um, like cars. Uh, and, and that's <laughs> what cars have. I mean, these are the most damaging things to computer systems. And we deal with this on a regular basis. Oh, yeah. and the wiring looms and controlled area networks and corrosion and the moisture and, you know, who knows what else. And yet we as the industry need to stop being afraid and we need to get out of our own way to make ourselves successful. But there's this, this kind of thing that has gone on forever. The guy next to me or down the street is my enemy. He's trying to steal my customers. Um, and, and I can't charge what I need to charge because the guy down the street or the other guy down the street is charging less. I mean, there's this kind of, it's like we're behind the eight ball and we can't seem to get out from under it as oh, an yeah. industry, right? Absolutely. When we bring in a customer, again, that's once the customer comes in the door or once they call in on the phone, that is when the relationship begins. And you need to make sure that your staff, your people are answering the phone correctly, asking the questions, creating the relationship of trust. You know, we get, we get it all the time. You get the phone call. How much do you do a water pump on my car? You know what? I would love to answer that, but I don't know what all you need. So let's set up an appointment to have your car come down, have one of my technicians look at it and verify all you need is a water pump or do you need the belts? You need the hoses? You need the cooling system flushed? It's why are we giving prices? I, I don't get to call the dentist up and say, hey, how much for a filling on my third molar or my right lower thing? I don't get to call the doctor up and do this. Yet we're supposed to analyze because people want a base, the only question they know to ask is how much? Well, we've kind of done it to ourselves. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, when I started, you know, a thousand years ago in the industry, um, that's when what I call fast food auto repair. And then it was, you know, discount coupon, discount coupon, discount coupon. And yeah. 
you know, I think I've been dealing with it the entire time. We used to have people call and say, well, I can get that alternator for half the price that if I go to Pet Boys or if I pick it up here or there. You used to deal with that question every day at the shop in the 70s, uh, in the 80s, the 90s, and and now still. Um, I don't know. Well, you know, I, I find we're, it interesting. We're in the that, 2020s now. I know. And I find it interesting that that you're running a tire store which traditionally you would think you know cheap oil changes yeah i wanted uh, i wanted people to realize that uh what kind of shop keith is he's a he's a tire shop predominantly right we started out as a tire shop uh predominantly it was only uh, as a tire shop we started out in the 60s uh rick warner who was a, a new car dealership in salt lake city started it because for his used cars and stuff like that he got tired of going through a secondary you know supply point so he decided to open up his own tire store and he ran that for quite a while. It provided tires for his used vehicles and things like that. And then the second owner, Steve Taylor came in and he says, you know what? Uh, he'd come from a repair background. We're going to add mechanics. And now we probably do 80% mechanical repairs and 20% tires. The tire business, I mean, the, the, the number of competitors that we have is phenomenal. Large chains that we're trying to compete at with as a local, small local business. And again, it's, it's one of those things of getting, providing the value. Um, we, like everybody else, we have an online thing where you can get prices. We drop the pricing. You request a tire, we're going to call you because we deal with so many warehouses now. We want to call you. And one of the things we want to do is, we want to determine what your needs are, what you're trying to accomplish. Cause they'll call in and say, I want this tire and you give them a price. And if you give them the price, they go, Oh, you guys are too high. Well, what are you doing with the vehicle? You've requested the Michelin and you've got a 30 year old vehicle. that just goes back and forth. You don't need the Michelin. Maybe you can do another brand or something like that. So creating the, um, the, the, the relationship of we're going to help you, take care of your problem. That's what we are. We're, we're problem solvers. They come to us with their automotive problem problems, we get tires or repairs. And our job is to, to take care of their problems in the best way possible and provide a value to them. And then be sure that we, we collect properly to take care of our people because you've just paid for that experience. You know, we talk about the CSR, the customer retention. I'm more about the customer experience. I want to make sure that they know that we value them. And that comes through shaking their hands, communicating. I, I, I see a lot of these people that DVIs and they send the things off. We still do the phone call only because I want to have the opportunity to explain, this is what you brought it in for, but there's these other safety issues. And then here's some maintenance issues that you can address now or later, but this is what you brought it in for. This is your main concern and addressing the main concern and going through that sales process and explaining when we send bids out and they go, Oh, that's too much money, but they don't understand why it's, it's, it's making sure that we have a, a sound viable process and that we are communicating. Yeah. So I want to, I want to pivot. Um, obviously there's a lot I'd like to cover with you, Keith, uh, for those of you who are listening and you're watching this, if you're enjoying hearing about Keith and his business, uh, drop us a like and share this video so that others can benefit from this topic. Um, I want to remind you that you can get a lot of business training and education on gearforshops.com. 
And we have a marketing conference that is coming up on July 30th and 31st here at our new facility in Ogden, Utah. Uh, you can see that at weartheinstitute.com forward slash Mars dash conference. And we'll put the link in, in the chat down below. Um, back to Keith, what has been your methodology for managing your team? You know, one of the things, it's changing, it's evolving. It used to be you just went out and you told them to do things and things like that. But I'm finding that to be consistent, I'm having to change how I operate in the fact of um, more clear goals, more clear processes. Um, you know, like I said, we, I've been here for 28 years. We really haven't changed a lot of things in, in how we do it, but we need to because the, the current business model is not sustainable sustainable we need to update and, and get with the time and make sure that our staff is is consistent in the message that we present to our customers so i've i mean i've been in this business since 1977 and probably the last four or five years i've really started making a concerted effort to learn how to do it in, in going through the networking and going to gear and going for the institute and going to avi uh, on demand, getting input and not being afraid of the guy down the street and talking with them. Um, it's, it's, you need that, you need that input. Some of the greatest things I did as a technician, I was very fortunate that I had some really great mentor technicians that taught me things. Uh, Fred C., my instructor at Solana Community College was awesome. Uh, worked with several people until I decided I want to go to the, the, the management side because I like people. I like dealing with people. Not every day sometimes, but I like dealing with people. And, um, and then creating that relationship. Um, I, you know, I just I love interacting and helping people. You know, if I hadn't gotten into this business, who knows? I may have been in the restaurant or the hospitality business because I just like taking care of people and helping them with their needs. I think everybody that's gotten in this business, hopefully that's why they got into it. Because if they got in it to work on cars, eh, okay, that's fine. But we're problem solvers. We're doers. We're going to take that technology and we're going to, we're going to take care of people and get them back on the road. Being, being a problem solver, what, what problems are you dealing with right now? What's keeping you up at night? Oh, I think like everybody, it's staffing, trying to find quality people that want to come to work. But then in, in order to create these quality people, we've got to have a pay program that, that, that uh, compensates them for their knowledge and their time. We have to have the processes in place to make them successful because as I tell all my people, I'm not successful unless you're successful. I have, my job is to provide you the tools to make you successful but also the parameters and the goals to make you successful. Well, these are the parameters we operate in. These are the goals that we, we strive for. Um, as a, as a uh, AAA approved or top shop, uh, last two years, we've had a customer satisfaction rate of 98.5%. That's impressive. Is it, is it realistic to expect 100%? No. But is it? Do you want a hundred percent? Yes. Yeah. If, if it's a hundred percent, you know, yeah, you want a hundred percent. But is it realistic? No. 
um, there, for a variety of reasons, you know, there's times there are people come in and they're not your customer. They don't understand the value of what you're providing. They don't understand the um, scope of what you're doing because their buddy's buddy, the guy that is a baker over at the grocery store said, this is all you need. Um, we were signed up a few years ago with um, another national account. I won't do the name where they would give estimates online to customers is how much is this going to cost? And we dropped it because invariably the car came up and that's not what it needed or that's not all that it needed. Um, they said, oh, how much to do the intake gasket? And I said, well, it didn't include the oil change, the gaskets, the coolant, the stop, all the other stuff that goes with it. And then when the car would show up, it was, you know, the, it was corroded and there was other damage. So we stopped doing it. And it, it again, it came, comes back to, get them in my shop, give my staff the opportunity to look at the car, give my sales staff the opportunity to present it in a, in, a, in a manner to which they understand. Our biggest challenge, and always has been, is communication. I mean, was it, uh, Dr. Priestley says, you know, the, the perception that uh, communication has taken place is, you know, extremely overrated. We just don't, sometimes we, we talk a lot, I know I do, but I don't always communicate. So getting that yeah. communication out there and making sure that communication took place. Yeah. So I know, oh, dad, did you have a. Um, you said, you said something I thought was, was funny. You said I've been in business, whatever it is, 37 years or whatever. And, and only in the past several years have you started doing, you know, training and management and all of that stuff. Um, has it been, I mean, obviously you're invested in it, but has it been very valuable for you? Was that training, you know, worth it? Uh, Absolutely. And and where do you feel you would be with without having had that? Um, I'd still be in the same quandary. Um, you know, things would be going downhill. Um, you know, it's, it's, you ask my wife, as with any wife, you know, husbands, we're slow learners. Uh, we don't catch on so quick. And so... Going into this um, and realizing I had to change the paradigm and I had to change how we were doing business um, somewhat. I mean, we're still the relationship basis, but our relationship needs to be based on sound business decisions. The other thing is that, that old axiom, you can't, you can't manage it if you can't measure it, is finding out what we need to measure, the KPIs, the EFLs the average repair order, things like that. And I'm still working on that with our software and still learning to do that um, because those are the things that I need to do to create those processes so that I can sit down with our staff and say, we're at A, we're going to go to B, and then we're going to go to C. We're not going to start at C and then go to A and then go to D. So creating that environment to make them successful and to have them understand why we do what we do and how we do what we do is imperative because when you get their buy-in, then it's great. I don't want to be, there's a difference between leadership and management. And I want to be a leader, not a manager. I can holler at people. And that's, you know, that's one of the advantages. When you get older, you get malware and you say, screaming at people actually stops communication that's because the, the walls go up and you've, you've stopped leading. When you take the minute and you go and you analyze what happened and why it happened, then you can go and address it. 
I mean, it's like Ken Blanchard in the seven effective uh, habits tells you, you can't always control the situation, but you can always, always control your reaction to the situation. And that's what we need to do as leaders is to do that. I need to, I need to clarify one thing that you said, you said you have an effective labor rate of $104 and change. What, um, do you have a multiple posted rates? Um, you know, is that because someone's going to go, Oh, they're only 104 bucks an hour. Um, we have, we, yeah, we have, uh, you know, through the wisdom of other people, uh, wise old sages, I have learned to have multiple labor rates. You know, when you do an oil change, we charge $25.95 just for the labor for the oil change plus the other stuff. Uh, motor homes, European cars, we charge more for. Older cars, we charge more for. And then we do a lot of fleet work. So we have a fleet rate and we have our, our regular retail rate. So it's because each one has different needs. You know, and, and, and people don't always understand that if I'm going to work on an old rust bucket, one, you're going to deal more with rust. Two, sourcing parts may not always be your technician's issue, but it's your service advisor's issue, your service manager's issue, and they're going to spend time and you need to be compensated for your time. I just needed to make that clear because, yeah. uh, you know, I think uh, if I look at labor rates around the country, um, I would say our average client is a posted rate is somewhere in the 130 to 145 range. Yeah. Um, the highest client we have is a little over $200. And I would bet the lowest client we have is probably 110. Um, and I just wanted to get that out there for people who have shops that might be watching this thinking, oh, I'm, I might be 120 an hour. Your, your effective labor rate and your posted rate are going to be two different things. And your effective labor rate in most shops is going to be less than whatever you post. Unless you happen to be like a specialty shop, you know, that's, uh, they don't do tires. They're, they're doing a service. Um, they're working on some high end, you know, Mercedes, Audi, something like that. They should be able to collect that because the tools necessary, the database necessary, and everything else to get that. They deserve that money. The, sh the shop that we have that is um, over 200, we have a couple that are, are there. Uh, they're mainly specialty shops, hiring cars and in uh, expensive places. So, you know, uh, LA, San Francisco, uh, places where the rent and the cost of being in business is much higher. So they have to have a higher labor rate to make that work for them. That's, I just wanted to clarify that. So um, what I love I, is when you go to those high-end dealers and they say, well, what's your labor rate? And they go, oh, it's $85 per half hour or per quarter hour. And it's like, okay, do the math. You know, <laughs> so, well, the, the th I would say the thing about labor rates is, you know, what does it cost me to have my water pump replaced is a combination of two things. What am I charging per hour? And then how many hours am I charging? So, you know, I've seen a lot of dealerships lower the, the, the rate and just they're, they're using a 1.5 or 1.9 or a 2.0 multiplier on the time. Um, and I've actually seen shops that, that would use a 1.3 multiplier. Most of my shops will use a 1.2 or 1.3 on the rate. Uh, on the time, to, and, and that would effectively move your labor rate up. Just, just a comment, I guess. I, I, I went through that myself with a fleet that I do, and I lost a fleet, and I went to him, and I said, so what's going on? And he says, well, I'm going to the, the, the Ford dealer here in town because they're only charging me, and at the time, we were like 95 bucks an hour a few years ago, and he says, they're 75 bucks an hour, and I said, really? That doesn't make sense because they're posted labor rate. He says, let me see the invoice. We look at the invoice and say, well, if they're charging you $20 less per hour, why is their total bill higher than mine? 
Yeah. So he says, I'm looking at the labor times that they have on this. And I go, ask them what labor rate that they're using. Because it's not Mitchell. It's not all data. I pulled all those up. And I says, here's Mitchell Motors and all data. And he called them up. It's an internal labor guide that we use. Yeah. Yeah. 1.9 times whatever the (laughs) Mitchell might tell me. And by the way, that makes me a hell of a lot more expensive than most automotive shops. Um, I, I think we need to understand when we're talking to customers in terms of labor cost, one of the things we could do as an industry is teach consumers out there to look at the overall cost of the job and what comes with it and, and, and make their decisions on a better piece of information. So oh, yeah, that comes down to communication. It comes down to the relationship, making sure we're communicating the value that we're, we're providing for these people, taking the time you know, you talked about the big O, 60-something tires a day or 60-something cars a day. How many people did you have time to talk with? How many people did you have time to communicate with about what was wrong with your car or you just turning cars? We had, a, we had a conversation with them that was, you know, why did you do free brake inspections in the first place? And why did you do, you know, free flat repairs and things like that? It, w- it was... And the reason why they did those things was so they had the opportunity to look the car over and sell the customer other work that the customer might need. I mean, that's, that's pretty typical, but they had got so busy that they couldn't even do that. They, they forgot the real reason that they were doing free, free flat repairs. (laughs) And, and, and to bring that back to the forefront and say, you know, I'm going to pull this wheel off so I can look at everything and help the customer if something needs to be done. Instead of just let's get that flat repair in and out as fast as possible, you know. Because there's four so, more behind it that want it free too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 so you, you got to remember what you're there for. There is a question. I, yeah, I, I want. Ken, I wanted to get to that. Go do that, Kent. So 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 Hans is asking. It sounds like you get a lot of management training. Yay, Keith. <laughs> um, but how do you handle technician training and education? Uh, you know, it's, since we've been here, we spend thousands of dollars every year. Uh, we sign up for the, we have the online through AVI. We have the NAPA uh, auto care training. We have ATG. We have a lot of online, especially with COVID last year, it was really hard. Um, nobody was doing it in class, but they were all doing online. And I think that actually opened it up some to, to people if they were willing to make the commitment to their craft. Um, but when we have different trains, we, we pay our guys to go. It's, it's going to benefit them. It's going to benefit us because the technology is changing so fast. You know, now they've got the R1234Y one, one, systems. They've got, you know, direct injection. They've got all the different technologies coming out, ADAS and everything. How can you stay relevant in our business without the training? Now, the the management training is because I want to be good at my craft. I've made a decision, a conscious decision. I want to be better at my job so that I can provide for my staff. And that's what they have to do. They have to be vested. You know, we're we're like everybody else. We have an apprenticeship program going. Getting people into it right now is hard. But for 90 days, we don't do anything other than see, are they willing to make the effort? I get them signed up. And then I go log in every you know, two weeks, who went into class, who do, who's done what? Because if they're not willing to make the effort, you know, I'll sit down with them through the first class. And after that, if they don't do it, then 
I questioned their desire to, to succeed. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if everybody had the same drive as you do to be excellent at what they do? Um, it, I think this, this is another, you know, notch on the, it's another chick check mark in that, you know, we really need to have higher labor rates. We need to be more profitable because we have to pay for, you know, what used to be for 80. Now we're talking maybe thousands of dollars worth of education just so that my tech knows what that system is and how to attack it, you know? Yeah, you, you, these guys have no problem buying the tools to work on the technology, but the guy operating has no clue what he's doing. So you, you got to have the guy trained to, to operate the tool in order to, to be productive. And, you know, the customers, you know, like I said, we, we're our own worst enemy when we, we have this perceived value. Uh, of what we need to do, it's, you know, it, and, and then one of the things I've learned through the Institute, look at your, your, your costs and then your sales and your labor, it becomes a function of your costs. You need to do that math to say, this is what I need to have the money in the bank. So when my rack bro breaks, I have the money to go buy a rack and I need to be able to include in those, how much we spend on training and training for myself and in for the, the tech staff, requiring them to be ASC certified, all my tire guys, they have 90 days when they come on to become TIA certified, Tire Industry of America, on dealing with TPMS and things like that, because it's, it's taking pride in what you do and building from it. They don't all want to be uh, tire guys for the rest of their life, but if they make the effort to become certified in that, they put the time in. We've provided all the tools for them to learn it. If they take that time, then they've got a desire and I'm willing to take them to the next level and then the next level and go from there. I've had several people who went from my tire shop over into mechanics. Got one guy who's been with me six years and he keeps growing in the industry. That's, I think, one thing that's missing from a lot of shops is they just want to go and hire a tech that's good. I just want to get an A-tech. Well, what's the plan once you have the ATEC? What's the strategy for them to be successful? What's the path that you can show them that, hey, when you are here, here's the steps and milestones you're going to hit that are, that are going to lead you to your potential? Well, in that respect, I'd almost rather find somebody with the right attitude and train them. If they've got the acumen to, to, to be a mechanic, you know, when I went through high school, I was an academic. I mean, I took physics and trig and calculus and um, found out it's just because I liked solving problems. It wasn't because I was any good and I had any plans on being a scientist, but it built that, that basis of solving problems and having people come in with the right attitude, training for what you need, training them the right way. Because how many times have we hired that A, that a tech that has all the knowledge, but has the worst attitude and as a cancer among your staff, because he's trying to drive everybody out so he can make all the money rather than see the big picture. I'd rather have a guy that wants to come in and be successful in the team. I think sometimes when we set our businesses up, the way we set up our pay systems and the way we set up even our, um, you know, like, um, I like that guy better. Or, you know, I treat that guy better because he's a better mechanic. And those things almost create this problem with that A-tech. Of being uh, cutthroat. 
Yeah, we've kind of we've kind of created it because of the system. We haven't created a team environment where we I always say automotive service and repair is a team sport and we win together as a team. And right. when you have one a tech that wants all the work and you know, that's it's nice to have that A tech, but it does make it really limits your business. It does. I mean, when when I first moved here and I went to work for the big red F in a corporate store. Um, I was a, went, got my SE certified master technician and we had another one that was in the store and we had young guys uh, in the store and the manager says, I need you to help make these guys profitable and be uh, proficient. And I had one guy and the other tech had another guy. And so my tech, I always made sure I worked out with him and showed him what we were doing. And every week he was hitting his numbers for flat rate and everything else. So he could grow and helping him out. The other guy, the master tech, he, he got more hours than I did by about 10 hours a week. But as the other guy was just starving to death and just getting his hourly. And it's, you, you need to help. If we want to keep people in the industry, we need to help them succeed. And I think there needs to be this, this kind of vision of being a technician or a mechanic is, it's an honorable profession where you can make a great living. I mean, it, it's, it, I was I started out as a tech on the Lubrac and and moved and you know now I'm a consultant I, I own a consulting company this this industry has been very good to me when I was a tech I made great money when I became a manager I made good money when I became an owner I made more money you know um, there is a great path in this industry and it's a it's an honorable thing to fix people's cars it's a good thing and it's, I don't think we we have that in the yeah. you know I think. I was going to ask you, how did your dad feel when you decided to be a mechanic as opposed to, you know, uh, follow trigonometry and, you know, be an engineer or something, right? Well, it's like my dad used to say, when you start with swamp water, you're not getting heavy on. So, you know, I, I took trig and everything else. I, I wasn't f- focused on it so much. I had a great time with it. There was the problem solving. It's like I tell people, I lived in England. I said, I went to Cambridge and Oxford. Security caught me and kicked me out, but I went there and then <laughs> went from there. But um, he was happy with it. Um, he, you know, being a military, being an enlisted man, you know, they don't make a lot of money. So a lot of times he worked in his own car. I never had that. Quite honestly, I came back from high school overseas. I didn't have a driver's license. I rode my bike to and from the gas station I got hired on at. The guy that had the gas station was a friend of my dad's from the military. And he says, I want to learn about cars and I'll work for free this many hours a day. And then I'll go get another job and go to school. And I worked for two weeks and he says, I can't not pay you. You're working too hard. And, 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 and you know, as well as I do, Cecil, is the kids come in and they see us in these positions of management, leadership, whatever. They think we were born into this. They don't realize that when the septic tank filled up with grease, who was out there digging it up, cleaning the bathrooms at the gas station, uh, all the things that we went through, everything that we went through, they're going through. So it's, it's not, yeah, I know, I know what you're going through because I've been there. And once, I decided I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. I wanted to improve myself. Once I decided I wanted to be a consultant, um, it took me another 25 years to actually get the knowledge in the experience to actually be able to be semi good at it. And then it took me another 15 years to actually be good at it. And maybe now I'm actually good at it. You know what I mean? It, 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 
It doesn't come over. Nothing good comes overnight. I mean, I've taken several of your courses and sat in your classroom. I would say you're above average. Okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> just, just barely, though. Just, just barely. barely. On, on certain days. <laughs> so, so we're getting there's, there's into... A, there's a pat on the back there, Cecil. <laughs> so we're getting into the end of this, and I want to do kind of like a rapid fire. Are you ready, Keith? Sure. Okay. So, you can ask rapid questions. I don't know I'll have rapid answers, but go for it. So, <laughs> what is either your favorite book that you've read or a, a management book that you're currently reading? Currently, I'm, I'm reading the Stephen Covey, Seven Habits. Excellent book because I see where it goes across all acumens. I've been I've I've bought copies to give to my sons because I think it's a great career and life coaching book. Um, favorite book I've ever read as recreational is Pillars of the Earth. It's eleven hundred pages and it's awesome. Uh, so, uh, so, next would be uh, what is the most influential class that you've taken? Oh wow. Um, from a management standpoint, it's probably learning your numbers. You got it's on the gear platform. You guys have that, you know, understanding your financial numbers. Because I can look at me, go, yeah. And the one that we all go to is the bottom line: did we make money? Did we lose money? But what we need to learn is what do we need to improve here to put more there. So, next question: what was the what is the best advice you've ever gotten? Marry that girl. <laughs> and, and what would be the best advice that you've gotten as far as your career? Ah, uh, wow. Um, your answer is not marry that girl. Come on. No. Oh. <laughs> yeah. As, as is typical in the automotive industry, um, we work a lot of hours, uh, either as a tech or as management or sales. You just tend to work a lot of hours. Um, so yeah, she's not crazy about it all the time. She likes the money I bring home. So guys, if you're out there, you can make enough money to make your wife happy. You're doing okay. Uh, so, but, um, as to, it's just, um, never stop learning. It's just, I mean, it's, it's like I said, well, I learned in 77 at college, 1977 is still valid because it gave me a great foundation but the technology is changing and keep up with the technology because it's going to change. And next year it's going to be different again. So you've got to, you've got to be, not be afraid to continue to learn. That's a great thing about life is learning something new all the time. Awesome. And then lastly, the people who are listening to this, either on the podcast later today or who, who are watching live right now, what should they do? Stop being afraid. The only thing we have to fear is fear ourselves. Learn something so that you can make, if you want to make yourself better, take the first step. I've got several steps. I've got several directions I'm going right now, but putting the focus on improving my business, although I'm just a manager, improving my business. Because when it comes down to it, I'm responsible for it. I accept ownership of it. And I'm going to, and I'm going to do the best I can to make it the best I can. Awesome. That's wonderful. So we're going we're gonna to end on that note. Keith, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, we really appreciate you sharing your story. We're going to be doing this more. So listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, we're going to be doing more of these shop stories in the future. Let us know in the comments down below uh, if you did like this so that we know we're on the right track here. Um, 
If you're interested in taking any of the classes that we have online, you can go to gearforshops.com. Keith has taken quite a lot of those. Or if you just want to join a group of automotive professionals who are geared towards uh, taking charge of our industry and leading, uh, pretty much leading our industry, you can join the Gearheads Network. Uh, and that's totally free. And you can actually go on and talk to Keith directly if, if you want to ask follow-up questions. Ask me anything. I encourage you because it is a, it's a group full of people improving the industry, wanting to improve themselves, their, their position, and the industry. We're all like-minded. Be involved in it. Be part of the solution. And lastly, uh, on a promotional note, if you guys are looking to improve your marketing Best place to do that is at the Marketing for Auto Repair Shops conference. We are bringing in experts in their respective fields. Uh, yeah, Keith went to the last one in 2020 that we had. We're having a new one, new format, a lot of networking opportunities, a lot of breakout sessions, and a lot of one-on-one with those presenters. So if you're interested, I'll also include that link in the description down below, and you can register for that. Uh, it's going to be on July 30th and 31st. So with that, I want to thank everybody for listening. And the next episode is going to be on June 9th, where we're going to be discussing DVIs. So make sure you check that out. Like, comment, share this post, and we'll see you next time.